Hey everyone, this is Aspet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. And this is our periodic touch base with Gevis Kajan on the latest conditions during the Artsakh blockade. Gev is with the ANC in Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, and he lives in Stepanagerd. Today is February 4, 2023. Hey Gev, how are you doing today? Gev. We're doing all right. How are you guys? What's the latest? So as you guys know, the what we've been talking about for the last 50 days, unfortunately, we haven't seen much change. Electricity outages are still six hours a day. We're still dealing with some of the other difficulties in terms of like the gas supply has been restored. Um, but I would say that here and there, it's kind of shoddy. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for the last five, six days, it's been steadily on, which is a good thing. Um, on top of that, the schools are back in session, uh, which is good. It, it coincides with the gas being uh, turned back on. And outside of that, maybe we can talk a little bit about what's going on in the corridor, some of the Azeri activities happening there as well. Well, tell us more about that. So something interesting that I've seen, they've been doing this in little spurts before, like taking videos there and, and stuff. But mm-hmm. I would say it is a much more controlled narrative now. As the days go by, you see for the first time uh, I've been seeing in the last week or two, English speaking Azeris, they speak pretty fluent English that are there. They have their own talking points. They have certain ways that they're standing. They have certain ways that they're posing. And I think this is all the result of you know, the first three, four weeks, we saw them fumble a lot in terms of their propaganda, whether it's like choking a dove, showing up with like fur coats, calling themselves eco-activists and, and all that stuff. As time goes on, I think they're in a way like kind of shaping this or curating this action a little more professionally. And then they're also claiming that they're bringing in certain journalists there and stuff like that. But again, most of the quote-unquote journalists that they're bringing are within the grasps of Baku's propaganda narrative machine. That's interesting. Yeah, in fact, Lindsay Snell was talking about this, that nowadays the type of activists brought in are very young and they sometimes wear their t-shirts from their educational institution. So a lot of young college kids are being supplied, and that seems to be the only type of activist that we're seeing. You know, no, no more mink coats and no more uh, former army guys or uh, current army guys. So it's like it seems to be now exclusively young kids. And, you know, that brought me thinking, why aren't we doing more to actually identify how these kids get recruited? Because basically they come in for a two or three day tour of duty. They stand in the corridor, they play chess, they kiss each other. I don't know what else they do to each other, but then they go home and the new bunch shows up. And if these are being done in coordination or with the tacit approval of the university, then I think that in the academic field, there is a lot we could do. For instance, these universities should not be allowed to participate in academic conferences Maybe there could be protests, for instance, I don't know, let's uh, take the nominal Baku State University. I don't know if they're the ones that are doing it, but if Baku State University is participating in some kind of academic conference overseas, then maybe those could be the sites of the protests where more awareness could be done. And basically these universities, the academics associated with Baku University, both within Azerbaijan and external academics may decide to go and collaborate there in Baku with some of the professors that should know about this and should feel uncomfortable doing this. And maybe then this may be a long-term thing, as we're saying, 
but we need to take the fight into every single forum where they are represented, in my opinion. Or we, maybe we can put a couple of links to the tweets from Lindsay Stell that you mentioned in our show notes. Sure. It's interesting that the profile of the Azeri so-called activists is being manicured into a more curated image by their government. You know, it'd be ironic if this were all to come to bite Aliyev in the ass one day when these kids figure out that they should do something about the pollution where they live. I was just looking this up when you were talking, Gev. Here's what the WHO says about Baku, which is the most polluted place in Azerbaijan. The air has seven and a half times the polluting particulate matter content that is advised. Sensitive people should wear masks, close windows to avoid the dirty air outside, use air purifiers, and reduce exercise outdoors. But you don't see these people complaining about their environment in Baku. I guess it'd be unhealthy to protest in Baku. So they're shipped to protest in Artsakh. Yeah. Uh, Gev, anything else that's going on in Stepanagird right now? No, but I do want to add briefly to Hobik's point. Look, everyone's aware that like, if we're going to protest... Baku State University itself, the administration, the, the people that run that school aren't going to change anything because they work for the government, essentially. So mm-hmm. it doesn't affect them. But I do think it is an interesting take to, you know, kind of cut them out from all of the other global institutions that they may be linked to. Um, and then lastly, I would say, while it, it is kind of annoying watching them curate these protests, especially with 120,000 people that have to deal with the repercussions of it. Uh, I would say that it's not necessarily convincing anyone. So I talk to like legislators and government officials uh, across the world, and I can't tell you of somebody that that's been legitimately like, even if they're not like fully pro Armenian or something, they just want to get a debrief on the situation. Uh, no one's come back with, but they seem like genuine activists. You know what I mean? I, I think that they're more trying to convince themselves than the world. But but I do think that they are. Yeah, they're taking. A very different approach. They're, they're trying to curate this uh, some PR scheme. I guess we saw Azerbaijan keep shutting off and sh- turning on the gas valve. So um, I guess we're no longer sending weapons through those valves anymore. Uh, so um, is that why it's still on for five, six days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or through the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah well, through the, through the internet. <laughs> yeah, then we must have been sending a lot of weapons through the internet but any reason specifically why they haven't touched the valve for five six days now look i'm not sure but we do see sometimes and again this is in part speculation and in part like founded on uh, some of the things that we've seen happen in the last few months every time there's like this conversation or something goes on so last week there was a talks being held in moscow certain folks around this issue when those talks ramp up, they kind of hear, uh, let loose on some of the pressure points that they exert. I guess that's a good thing temporarily, but that also means that, you know, come the next few days, they can shut it back off again. Right. Gev, what's the latest on the food rationing system that the government rolled out? So as far as I know, it works pretty well when it comes to the long-term perishable stuff. So like the rice and pasta and all that. It's still very difficult to deal with when we're talking about things that are produced here. So eggs that we get from the various farms every morning, even even this morning, I was out kind of walking just to get a scope and, and a feel of how people are dealing with this exact situation. 
And it was about like 8.30 I went out and I saw this pretty big line, 50, 60 people. And, and on every block, they kind of have one store that, that sells, let's say, eggs, for instance. And you've got 50, 60 people an hour and a half before the store even opens. Mm, for okay. And it's kind of this first come, first serve system. So the long-term perishable goods, I see it in the stores. Like I can walk in just about at any time and get that with the coupon. Uh, but even if you've got like the ability to buy eggs and stuff, you still have to wait in, in a massive line. The same applies for milk. So what's the difference between locally sourced materials and imported materials? Why does it make a difference from the food stamp perspective? Oh, I think we've got a, a bigger storage of, you know, rice, pasta and all that sugar, all that stuff. I see. Um, whereas the eggs, it relies on what's produced weekly. It's a finite amount that's produced every other day or so. So I, I think that's where the difficulty comes in. And then you also have a higher demand for that stuff. People want something fresh. People want, especially those with kids and stuff, you know, yeah. uh, they need uh, access to dairy and uh, certain other supplies. Okay. Let's leave it there for today. Thank you, Gev. Glad to be on, guys. Yeah, we'll touch base soon. Take care, Gev. Take care.